Welcome to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast. My name is Talea Dindi. I'm an 11-year cancer thriver, cancer doula, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. Gaps between the guidance, emotional support, and education that are needed and what one receives can be huge. This podcast fills those gaps by sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who are thriving on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complimentary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Disclaimer, the purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. The podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professionals and is not intended for the use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests who speak in a podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conditions conclusions. Neither Talea Dendi, Navigating Cancer Together, On the Other Side, LLC, nor any of its affiliates endorses, supports, or opposes any treatment option or other matter discussed in a podcast. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy on a podcast should not be construed as an endorsement. Hello everyone, this is Talea Dindi from OnTheOtherSide.life and you're listening to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast, the show that has something for everyone facing cancer. Why? Because everyone is different with different needs, beliefs, and perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. I encourage you to open your minds and your hearts. Today, our very special guest is Nick Hill. Nick is a fashion designer and cancer thriver. After being diagnosed with breast cancer in March of 2022, she, along with her husband, set out to help others by creating a foundation that donates funds from the sale of selected products to help women, men, and families battling the daily costs of breast cancer. Live Beautiful Nation Foundation will launch in October 2020. Nick, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Talea. It is my pleasure, Nick. You were recently diagnosed with breast cancer. Please tell us how you got that diagnosis. Yes, I was recently diagnosed. I am still in the process of my journey. It is not over. I found a lump in my breast and it's so interesting because I found it right end of 2019, beginning of 2020, somewhere in there. And I went to my OBGYN and as many women know, mammograms are a referral that you have to have from your OBGYN. You can't just walk into a radiology clinic or a cancer institute and say, I'd like to have a mammogram. I don't know why that is. And maybe later on in my life, that might be something that I work on in addition to other things, but you can't refer yourself. It has to happen through your OBGYN. When I went to my OBGYN, I showed her what I was feeling and she thought that it was scar tissue and she didn't believe it was much smaller at the time. And she didn't believe that it was anything to worry about. And 
that was okay. But what should have happened and what didn't happen is that I should have been referred to get a mammogram anyway. It should have been, hey, it's probably nothing. It's probably just scar tissue, but let's just make sure that it's not. And let's send you to get a mammogram. But because of my age and because I was younger than the age that happens for women to get mammograms, which is 40, I was younger than 40. So she didn't think that it could be breast cancer. But I kept my eye on it and she recommended that I kept my eye on it. And 2020 happened. So that's 2020. Nobody was going to the doctor. And all 2020, I'm still doing my self-checks and I'm still paying attention to it. And it didn't seem to grow. It still seemed to be the same size. 2021 happens and it's still difficult for me to know if the size has changed or not, because even if you drew a circle on your skin to mark the area of it and see if the radius has grown, that circle doesn't stay forever. So, you know, the next time you go to check, the circle's probably going to be gone anyway, because you're using ink or marker or something. And having a frame of reference of is it growing? Is it not? It's really tricky when it's a certain size. So 2021's progressing and I can't tell if it's the same size or not, but I'm thinking it's getting larger. Right around that time, my husband, I'm a fashion designer and um, work for myself. And my husband had a corporate job where we got our insurance and he lost that corporate job and we lost our insurance. So I also wasn't able to just pick up and go to the doctor now if I felt like I needed a second opinion. So I'm waiting a little bit more, but still paying attention. The beginning of 2022, I still don't have insurance, but I figured out a way to get some. But then my mom passed away January, 2022. So now this thing that I'm finally like, I have a means to go get it checked out, but now I'm dealing with mom's declining health and then her eventual passing. So finally, (laughs) March, 2022, I can tell it's bigger now. There's no question as to whether or not what started off as something smaller is now larger. I went to a different OBGYN and she felt what I felt and she recommended me for a mammogram and told me to get the appointment as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And I got it for the following week at March 24th was the date that I got the appointment for. And a week later, I got a phone call saying that I had invasive ductal carcinoma estrogen positive, also known as breast cancer. What a journey, Nick. It's so unfortunate that you were basically turned away and said, don't worry about it because of your age. I have heard that story time and time again, and it's simply not true anymore. That is not true anymore. And unfortunately, many women are getting diagnosed at later stages because their doctor wants to believe that their age is a factor in it not being breast cancer. And that's simply not true. It's very sad and it's very frustrating. Also, I can understand how it feels to be, in a sense, dismissed by a doctor by saying, oh, don't worry about it. It's probably nothing. That was the case in my situation as well. And a year later, I found out it was Hodgkin's lymphoma. So it's really unfortunate. You were going through a lot at that time over the years, the passing of your mother. I'm very sorry to hear that. And I I truly understand how life gets in the way and you just don't deal with it at that time. Looking back, Nick, is there anything that you would have done differently? The only thing I think that I would have had any 
control in would have been at the time before COVID happened to get a second opinion at that time, because Mm -hmm. that appointment was literally right before the world shut down. So Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been able to do anything during the year of 2020 anyway, because so many doctor's appointments were canceled to begin with. And if we remember, it wasn't really, you went to the doctor if you were like horribly ill, but every other type of maintenance check was put to the side. So the only thing that I think, and then my husband lost his job and we lost our insurance. So it was compounded with all of these situations that were out of my control. And then after the losing of his job, my mom passed. So it's COVID, losing insurance, my mom passing. The only window that I had of any other type of control would have been at the time when I got turned away from her going to a different OBGYN and getting a second opinion and or insisting that the first doctor refer me to get the mammogram. And that would be the takeaway that I say to anyone like you, we trust doctors, but you know your body better than the doctor does because you are in your body all day, every day, your entire life. So if you know that something is not right, And they're just like, oh, it's probably just scar tissue or it's probably just the flu or or whatever it is. And you know that it's something more than that. Insist on getting the additional testing, insist on getting the mammogram. And if the doctor that you're seeing won't give you the testing that you need, then get a second opinion. In hindsight, I should have gotten a second opinion at that time. I think that's really the only thing I differently I could have done or insisted that she refer me for a mammogram. Absolutely. I agree. You're right, Nick. Listen to your body. Your body is telling you something and you're with your body all the time. How did you feel, Nick, when you got that news? So when you got the confirmation a couple years later, how did you feel at that time? So it's kind of interesting because from the 24th, when I went on the appointment until the 31st, when I got the test results back, it's a very long week. You're just Mm -hmm. like, what is going on? What is taking so long? on pins and needles. And the morning of the 31st, like right around 1 a.m., 2 a.m. in the morning, I was up late and I was watching something on TV and something just told me to check my patient portal with my doctors. And I did because I had a feeling that the tests had just come back. And sure enough, it came back at one o'clock in the morning and I was reading this test. My husband's asleep. I'm reading the results. And there's so many words that I didn't understand and I'm Googling them all. And I interpreted that I did, in fact, have a tumor in my breast. And I just remember feeling in that specific moment and just, okay, wow. And if I knew that something was wrong, like I could feel a lump. So if it wasn't breast cancer, it was something, right? Mm -hmm. I knew something was going on. And I just remember turning the TV off, praying and going to sleep. And I slept through the night. I didn't wake up. I didn't have any anxiety. I just prayed and I gave it to God. And at this point, what can I do? So the morning when it was a normal hour of day, I think it was like 8.30 in the morning, So about seven hours later, my radiologist called me, the the doctor that did the mammogram. And that same day, because of the size of the lump, when I got the mammogram, they also did an ultrasound and a biopsy because Mm -hmm. it was clear that something was there. So she called me that morning and 
She told me that it was in fact breast cancer, but she said some very affirming things that it wasn't a unicorn. It was a very common type of cancer. When you have cancer, that's really all that you could pray for is that it's something that's straightforward and simple and doctors are familiar with. That's a good thing. She told me that it had not metastasized. That's another good thing. And she told me that it was treatable. What I took away from that conversation was that I would be okay. And that this is for whatever reason, just a journey that I have to go through. I also felt really grateful because on March 31st, 2022, millions of people got a phone call similar to mine. But with some of those people, the main difference is that maybe they got told they had terminal cancer or that they only had six months to live or something much more drastic than what I was told. So in a way, I was I oddly grateful that the news wasn't worse because I'm aware of that it could be so much more difficult than what I heard. That's so true. And that's a great mindset to have and to start with. I really appreciate that, Nick, because you didn't start off defeated right away. And everyone's different. Everyone has been through different things in life. And that's an indicator, too, of how people handle that kind of news. So I'm just very grateful that you were able to take it in the way that you took it. As far as treatment, Nick, what does that look like for you? I'm still on my journey, as I mentioned at the top of the show. I elected to do a clinical trial, and the trial was actually testing a standard medication that has been used to treat breast cancer for decades. Just instead of it being intravenous, they made a pill of that Mm -hmm. same exact medication. And then there was also an immunotherapy component that is supposed to help to protect the body from the effects of the chemo pill. I finished that first round of chemo about two or three weeks ago, and it reduced the tumor by about a little more than 50%. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. I responded really well to the chemo and it shrunk the tumor and I had minimal side effects and I was very grateful for that. Yesterday, I actually had an appointment with my oncologist And even though the tumor has shrunk, they recommend a second round of chemo just because they feel like the additional steps that I have to take in my journey will be more beneficial with additional chemo. It's my choice though, because Mm -hmm. I had good results with the first round, I have a choice as to whether or not I take an additional round of chemo. And I don't know that I've answered that question yet. I'm just praying on it and just reading the information that they've given me. The main thing for me is because of my age, I want to make sure that I'm making a decision that's good for me 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, 50 years from now, because I still have a lot of life ahead of me potentially. I feel like I'm at probably the biggest decision of my life. Do I do a second round of chemo or not? I don't want to make a decision that is good for me today, but not good for me 20 years from now. So I'm just thinking about that. After the second round of chemo, whether or not I do a second round of chemo, after that, then there's surgery. And then there is a month of radiation, daily radiation treatments for a month. And then after the radiation, it will be 
alternating mammograms and MRIs every six months for the rest of my life. In addition to that, anybody that has breast cancer or has had breast cancer, that estrogen pill that you take for five to 10 years as well. Thank you so much for sharing that, Nick. What was the name of the clinical trial that you're participating in? It's called iSpy, and they've had really good results. The interesting thing about it is that it's very interactive. Once the trial is complete, which the trial for me is completed, they compiled all of the results that they've learned from the trial, and they can make recommendations for the course of treatment while you're in the treatment. It's almost like a research team that's looking and studying your cancer alongside your oncologist and helping to make suggestions while you're in the treatment. What's revolutionary about that is traditionally you don't get that type of information Mm -hmm. until after you've gone through treatment. So the fact that I'm in the treatment and they can say to me, we think that you'll benefit by doing more chemo is something that traditionally I might have gone through the first round, the surgery, the radiation, and then maybe six months to a year later, they might introduce more chemo later because they were able to gather all of their data after the fact. So that's the benefit of that. The other benefit of it, I would say, was the immunotherapy drug. That was something that did really well. They also tested it at I think it was the Mayo Clinic, and they tested that same immunotherapy drug, colon cancer patients. And colon cancer patients also did really well with that immunotherapy drug, and all of them were able to beat their colon cancer with the immunotherapy. I think they only tested it at the Mayo Clinic on 10 people. Don't quote me. I'm not sure how many people in the iSpy trial got to use the immunotherapy drug, but I'm pretty sure it's probably like in the thousands. Okay. And the iSpy trial is a trial that's been going on for four years and okay. it's happening at cancer institutions all across the country. So I'm at Columbia, Columbia Presbyterian here in New York City, but they're doing this trial. My oncology nurse said that they're doing it at hundreds of cancer institutions across the country. And this is like the fourth year of the trial. So those of people would have done the trial Um, prior to me, and they've had really good results with it. Nick, did your oncology nurse tell you about this trial? How did you find out about it? My oncologist recommended it to me because he felt like I would benefit from it. Mm -hmm. And I have because it reduced the tumor literally by 50%. Like it's miraculous how that medication has caused the tumor to change for the better. The tumor itself isn't so much stuck to my skin anymore. It's drastically smaller and I can't even really feel it. It's still there. It's just more difficult for me to feel now. The immunotherapy component to it protected my body from the chemo, the effects of the chemotherapy. And my oncologist recommended it to me. That's so great because often we hear that not enough Black people or people of color are participating in clinical trials. So I want to applaud you for taking that step. I'm so glad that you're sharing your story because people can hear that it's not all doom and gloom. You're benefiting from it. Yeah, it can be doom and gloom if that's the aspect 
that you choose to look at it with. Mm -hmm. And you're right, not enough black and brown people do clinical trials just because of horrible medical history in this Mm -hmm. country. There's a lot of lack of trust there. I will say that for me, probably the main reason why I even entertained the idea of the trial is because my doctor is brown and my Mm -hmm. college nurse is brown. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of trust in them because they were people that looked like me. And I felt seen and I felt like there was representation there. I had a lot of trust in my doctor or have a lot of trust in my doctor and this team because of their capabilities. But I also did a lot of research on my doctors before they did any work on me. In my instance, I know that I'm with an amazing group of medical professionals who are outstanding at mm-hmm. what they do. My my oncologist is still a professor of biology at Columbia Medical School. He has his own lab. He's very well educated. He understands cancer and he's a great care provider. And so is my breast surgeon. She too is still a professor at Columbia Medical School. And they see me, their main goal is my health and my survival. The main thing I think that gave me peace at the beginning of this journey, before they did any prescription of chemo or any anything, they did a million and one tests on me. So there were echocardiograms, there were MRIs, there were more mammograms, there were more biopsies, there were physicals, there were blood tests, there were head scans, there were body scans, chest scans, bone scans. Like they did everything in that, they did every test under the sun, genetic testing to make sure that I was even healthy enough to undergo the treatment that they were thinking of but also to make sure that there was no more cancer anywhere else. And that testing, I'm not exaggerating. I went to the doctor every day, sometimes two to three times a day for about a month and a half. I went to every doctor appointment you could think of. And the fact that they were that thorough before they touched me, so to say, made me feel competent in their abilities. and. Mm garnered my trust. So when he broached the subject of doing the trial, it was more palatable for me. But then once I learned more about the trial, and I'm going to be honest, the main reason why I did the trial was because they were testing a medication that already existed. The medication was already FDA approved. It's (laughs) already been taken by millions and millions of people. The only thing new about it was instead of it being intravenous, it was a pill, that's it. So I felt like what's the worst that could happen because it's a medicine that's already established and tried and true. If this was a brand new medication and I was patient one, I doubt I would have taken it just because of that historical medical past that black and brown people have in this country. I don't think I would have trusted that, but I did trust this because it made sense. The icing on the cake was the fact that a brown doctor was recommending it to me as well. Yes. Thank you so much, Nick, for sharing that in detail. Just so the audience knows, prior to what Nick has just shared, I didn't know that she participated in the clinical trial. And she doesn't know that I'm a community consultant for the Minnesota 
Cancer Clinical Trial Network. Oh, wow. And so you shared a lot of information, Nick, and a lot of thoughts and feelings that I have been voicing to the group about the hesitancy that Black and Brown people have about participating in clinical trials. Yes, we know it's important that history's there, but you also drove home the point that it's important to be able to go to doctors who look like you, who understand what you're going through, who take up the time and go the extra mile for you, who communicate with you, who give you the information that you need and let you make the decisions best for you. Nick really just gave us a great example of how that should and can work if the right systems and the right healthcare team is in place. So thank you, Nick, for sharing that. You're welcome. And I'll add to that because remember yesterday was when I found out they want me to do more chemo. Mm -hmm. There were some rumblings about it last week, but all of my doctors were on vacation because here in New York school started yesterday. So they were trying to get those the last family vacations in. And when last week, when I heard that there was the potential for more chemo. I didn't really trust it. If we're being honest, I'm like, I don't know my doctor who has been seeing me for months now, he hasn't said anything about it. And it was just the trial team that was recommending more chemo. But remember they're interactive. So based on what they're seeing, they think that I might benefit with more chemo. So I met with my doctor yesterday to talk about this. And the first thing I said was, I'm not going to be Henrietta Lacks. You're yes. not going, <laughs> you're not going to just test on me for this trial because I was under the impression that it was the trial that was making the decision for more chemo because they wanted to test and see. I'm doing air quotes, guys. They wanted <laughs> to test and see how I would benefit with a second round of chemo to make their trial numbers look good. After speaking to my doctor yesterday, I learned that the trial is in fact over and they're making the recommendation because they feel like I would just benefit more from an additional round of chemo as we look to future Nick and the Nick 10 years from now. Also, the surgery might be a little bit easier because it'll be less invasive with another round of chemo. The question I asked my doctor yesterday that I think meant the most to me, I looked at him in his eyes and I said, if I were your sister, would you recommend me to have more chemo? And his answer was absolutely. And I trusted that as a brown person to a brown person. Yeah. That that meant a lot to me. And you all should know that because my experience on the first round was so mild and I didn't really have any side effects, our relationship and our doctor's visits, our weekly visits were always very light because I was thriving. I wasn't experiencing any symptoms. The chemo was working. They were always quite light. We would laugh. We would talk about other things in the appointments and they weren't your typical cancer consultations. Yesterday's appointment was much more serious and much more cancer related. The whole conversation yes. was cancer related. And it was probably the most serious that I've seen him since my very first appointment with him. And the fact that he was that serious in the conversation and he felt like it would be a good benefit to me for more, it did make a difference and mm -hmm. it did make me feel like maybe I was wrong about what I thought about the week before and that it was just a trial just trying to make me be Henrietta Lacks. 
Yes. And that's so important to be able to have that kind of relationship and that kind of dynamic and range because you're human. Your oncologist is human. Sometimes you can joke around and be light, but hey, there's going to be times when you have to get down to business and have those tough conversations. And it's critical to have someone who can be straightforward with you, but also respectful of whatever it is that you choose. So it sounds yeah. like you are really blessed in a number of ways actually next um <laughs> I am and everyone in that room yesterday was a brown person and that oh. was so powerful wow. there was only brown people and My I I can't express how that felt but it felt comforting yeah it <laughs> there was something about it that just there was so much trust and comfort in that space in that time that I recognized was really rare yeah in Minnesota you're lucky if you get one black or brown oncologist or doctor for that matter. So that is amazing. And that had to feel very uplifting and powerful in a sense to just be able to look around and say, wow, I'm in good hands. And these are people that look like me that have some similar shared experiences in life. And I can only imagine how much weight it probably has taken off of your shoulders. Huge amount, because for anyone that's listening that doesn't understand why this is important, Black women die at a higher rate with breast cancer than any other race of woman, largely because of lack of care or quality of care. So as a Black woman, to be in a space with Black doctors it doesn't make me feel like my mortality is in question. I don't feel like I'm not being cared at the same level as other patients who don't look like me because of my race. To the extent that when I first met with my breast surgeon, who's not a BIPOC individual, I even asked her, how does my race affect the quality of care that I'll receive? And for anyone that's listening, when you meet with your doctors, you have to be involved in your care. You're driving the car, they're in the passenger seat, and it's a collaborative effort. And you should be asking questions if you don't understand understand. I had a list of, I think, 12 questions when I first met with the doctor the day after that initial diagnosis. And her response to me was, your race won't play a part, but your age will. And I didn't expect that my age would affect the treatment and the course of treatment, but has. And to go back to that recommendation for a second round of chemo, it's because of my age. Mm -hmm. My doctor literally said, if I was older, if I was 70 years old, he wouldn't recommend another round of chemo. He would just have me go straight to surgery. But because I'm 43 now, there's potentially 40 more years of life, I would hope. And because of that, the question becomes, how do we secure the rest of those years? The answer is they believe that chemo will help. That makes sense. On the other side, just listening to that and knowing what I know about cancer treatment and things that my own oncologist has shared, that makes total sense. Your age makes a huge factor. And then also the quality of your health prior to starting treatment makes a big difference as well. Huge difference. Yes. I cannot stress that enough that taking care of yourself before something like cancer happens to you can make a world of difference and just so important. So important. And if we're being honest, my doctor hasn't said it, but I do believe that the body that I 
started this process with is a large reason why I had the experience on the first round of chemo that I had. And just to share a little about me, when I was, I think, 12 or 13 years old, I read an article about taking medications and the overuse of taking medicines. So at the age of 12, I stopped. I didn't take any medications, no Tylenol, no, no nothing. I found a natural way to help take care of whatever it was that I was feeling. If I felt nauseous, I ate ginger. If I had a headache, I drank water. If I didn't feel well, I went to sleep. I work out regularly and I eat healthy. I got that cancer diagnosis and I went to the doctors for the first time. They got a very pristine body that was not abused by over medication throughout the course of my life. My heart is very strong. My vitals are great. I don't have diabetes other than chemo. I don't take medication for anything else. And a large part of my experience through the journey has been because of the quality of my health. While I was on that first round of chemo, I actually started working out more. I kept eating healthy. I made sure that I was giving my body whole foods and still using food to help heal what the chemo was doing to me. It's a large reason why I think I had the experience that I had. And your health is your wealth. The healthier you are to go through a battle like cancer, I really do believe the better the results will be. So true. Nick, you shared with us that you based a majority of your decisions on your treatment and how you want your life to look 10, 20, 30 years from now. Please share with us in 10 years, what do you want for Nick? What kind of quality of life would you like? Just health. I'd like to never have to experience cancer again. For anyone that isn't aware, the type of breast cancer that's in my body is a very common one to come back. So I'm making decisions today that will hopefully prevent me from having to ever have cancer again. My doctor has educated me that typically the younger you are when you get cancer, the more aggressive it is and the greater the chance that it will come back. So the decisions, because I know I'll be okay in the present moment, all of the decisions that we're making are really for my future self. Because remember on that phone call, it wasn't a unicorn cancer, it was treatable, it was curable. And today wasn't so much the concern of any of my doctors. All of their concerns are the 53-year-old version of myself or the 63-year-old version or the 73-year-old version or the 83-year-old version or hopefully the 93-year-old version. They've all expressed that age was more of a concern than anything else and how to protect those future decades from having to experience illness. So for me, it would just be health. I could not agree more because without that, you have nothing else. You have nothing. <laughs> yeah. Nick, I do have a question that came up and I'm asking this because I was diagnosed at a very young age. Were you asked if you wanted to freeze your eggs? Were you asked that as well? I was asked that my husband and I did freeze our eggs because I don't have any children. And it's so interesting that 
We were just planning to start our family because we're both entrepreneurs and we both have been building businesses over the course of the last few years and finally got it to a place where it was steady enough to start to have a family. And there is a very small window again, because of my age, like all of this happened in my forties. Um, so I did freeze my eggs. We did get four eggs and made four embryos with them, which is really amazing for someone my age. But again, I think that's because of the quality of health that my body had. However, the type of cancer that's in my body is fueled by estrogen. What does a woman's body produce a lot of when she's pregnant? A ton of estrogens. My doctor made a face when I spoke about carrying my child. I don't know that I'll be able to carry my child. We'll probably have to have a surrogate just because if I do carry my child, while I'm physically capable to, I'll probably get cancer again because my body turns estrogen into tumors. I was recommended to freeze my eggs. We did go through that process, but I probably still won't be able to, to carry those kids. Thank you for sharing that. You've created an option for yourself and your husband. I mean, you can still have kids. You may not be able to go the traditional route, but hey, you still have that option. It's a blessing that you were asked and told about it by your oncologist because there have been women that were not given that option. They didn't even know that treatment could impact their ability to have children in the future. Yes, I'm so grateful. My doctors truly are amazing. I do feel like they put me first with their work. And I'm okay with not carrying them, mostly because I recognize that for me, carrying my children could cause grave implications for my own health. Like it could be a scenario that I could carry the child, give birth to the child, and maybe I don't get to enjoy being in my child's life because of what estrogen would do to my body. So once you're done with this type of breast cancer, you take, I forget the name of the medication, but you take that medication for five to 10 years. But if you're pregnant, they stop that medication because your body needs the estrogen. The goal of that medication is to not produce estrogen for five mm -hmm. to 10 years, which they stop giving if you're pregnant. And at that point, the potential for having estrogen produced tumors is created. So I don't want to have kids just to sacrifice my life. That's understandable. And thank you so much for sharing, Nick. I know it's a personal decision and a choice, but I think the more we talk about all the different things that come along with cancer, the more people can feel less isolated and like it's only happening to them. So sure. thank you. You're welcome. Before we wrap up, Nick, please tell us about Live Beautiful Nation Foundation. Ah, thank you for asking. I'm a fashion designer and I'm a brand owner and I make clothes and sell them for a living. And on this journey of having cancer, it's expensive. It's an expense that doesn't often get spoken about. Your doctors are focused on your health and they want you to, to survive and to live, but that requires eating healthier than you ever have before, going to the doctor a million times. Sometimes you don't feel good when you're coming back home. You're taking maybe Ubers or taxis. You're paying more co-pays than you normally do because normally when you're healthy, you might go to the doctor a couple times a year, but 
with cancer, you're there daily sometimes. And this all has an expense. And I myself have applied for grants during the course of my journey and have been awarded grants and just thought like, how can I help? How can I give back? What can I do to make a difference? Why am I going through this journey being spared seemingly? My journey so far has been very mild and I'm praying that it continues to be that way. But I think that all of those things have happened for a reason. And I think that I'm supposed to help other people. So my husband and I decided that we would take a portion of the sales of selected items and donate them to men, women, and families that have breast cancer so that they can use those funds to help them with the day-to-day costs of battling breast cancer. We're recording this in September, and by the time it airs, it'll be November. Uh, The foundation will officially launch in October for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And people will be able to shop those items and a portion of the sales will go to men, women, and families who need help with day-to-day financing. People will be able to apply for help and we'll give 100% of those funds to people. We'll give what we have. So I'm imagining that some months we might earn more money than other months. Our goal is to just give gift cards to people who need them and to help as many people as we can based on the amount that we get. So some months it might only be that we can only give $100 per person. Some months it might be that we can give $500 per person, but whatever we can give, we will give. I hope that this is an organization and a foundation that can grow. And over time, my goal is just to be able to help everybody that needs it. Wonderful. Nick, where can people get in contact with you if they want to help out? Where can they learn more about you and the work that you're doing? Thank you so much for asking. The Live Beautiful Nation Foundation's website is livebeautifulnation.org. As of the recording of this podcast, it's not live yet. It will be live on October the 1st. On the site, there will be areas where people can shop. There will be areas where people can donate directly. And there will be areas where people can apply. And over time, I hope to be able to add more funding, more resources for people, and more opportunities to connect people who want to help with people who need help. Thank you so much, Nick, for setting that up. I'm excited to see it come October 1st. And yes, yes. And you are doing amazing work even now before your site is up, just sharing your story and educating people is so important. I just want to thank you. Before we end today, Nick, is there anything else that you would like to share with the audience? I would say that a cancer diagnosis isn't the end of the world. And It feels like it, but connecting to something outside of yourself, I think gives you the mental stamina to conquer, cancel, and to go through it. For me, it has been my spirituality and my faith and exercise. Those two things have made me feel like I have some sort of control during a period where I probably don't have any. They've given me something to focus on other than cancer. Every time when it felt rough or it felt really difficult, honestly, my faith has just been what's gotten me through it. And it's just amazing what faith in something other than yourself, the energy it can give you. 
Nick, that's so true. And I want to thank you for sharing your encouraging words. Again, your story is so important and so critical to helping other people who just got that diagnosis and even people into survivorship. You're giving them other things to think about as well when you say, hey, I thought about what I want my life to look like 10, 20, 30 years from now, because there is life after cancer. You don't have to just throw your hands up and say, that's it. It really isn't true anymore. It's not true. And there's so much help available. You're not alone. There's tons of programs to help with free counseling, rides to treatment, rides from treatment, money for those day-to-day costs, money to help with co-pays, someone just to listen to you. There's a world of help out there if you seek it. You don't have to go through this alone. I think even If spirituality and faith isn't your thing and exercising isn't your thing, looking into those resources just to get help to talk to people so that you don't feel like you're going at this alone and you have people who have been there and they can help with the experience. It's so vital and it's so important. And get an advocate. If you don't like what you're being told by your doctors, find someone to speak on your behalf and get an advocate. Most hospitals have patient advocacy programs and groups that you might not know about. Ask to speak with them if your doctors aren't listening to you. You don't have to stick with the doctor that you've been assigned. If you don't get along with this doctor, it's a a very important relationship and you're with them for months and years, even after your cancer diagnosis and treatment is over. Liking the people that you work with and feeling that they're competent is really important to your overall life. So make sure that you're being well taken care for and advocated for. Wise words, Nick. Again, thank you so much for joining us, Nick. You have been such an amazing guest sharing a wealth of information while you're still going through your journey. So thank you for taking the time to talk with me, share your story with the audience. It's been a pleasure, Nick. Thank you for having me, Talia. Thank you. And I wish everyone luck on your journey. Thank you. Before we end today, I would like to give a shout out to the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, follow, or subscribe so that you can easily find the Navigating Cancer Together podcast, and it helps other find this podcast as well. That is it for this Wednesday. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you enjoyed the show, please share or tell your friends and family about it. For notes from the show and previous episodes, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. I would love it if you joined us for the next episode. Talk to you soon.